Six years ago, uh, during this time, I was in Jerusalem for a month of sabbatical. And one of the, the great treasures of Jerusalem is the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And most of the time, you know, there's just this huge queue of people, this massive crowds of, of pilgrims who are trying to, to make their way through the various sacred sites that are contained within that basilica. But I just wasn't able to have the patience to wait hour upon hour for you know, a few moments just to be able to get into the tomb. And one of the uh, other priests who was on the sabbatical program with us said that he'd organized to get tickets for us to be able to stay overnight in the Holy Sepulchre. And I thought, yes, this is a chance that I, you know, I won't want to, to give up. And so we, we go there at the, the appointed hour. There's only about uh, six or eight people allowed to stay overnight each time. And then watch this whole ceremony of the locking of the door as the different Christian communities uh, from the Eastern churches and from the Catholic church and from the Orthodox churches all kind of gather for this ceremony where the main door into the basilica, I guess, is, is locked from the outside. Um, and it's a Muslim who holds the key to the, the, the door each night. And I thought, yes, okay, now we're about to go to the tomb and be able to finally pray there. But they're told, no, 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 no. First, they need to do the maintenance. And so this whole veritable army of, of helpers begin to descend upon the, the basilica. And all of them begin to bring oil to replenish the, the, the oil lamps that, uh, that adorn all of the, the area around the, the tomb. And so we're just sitting, waiting, and we're like, how long will this take? And they're like, uh, you know, at least an hour, hour and a half. And so about two hours later, after all of this kind of happens, uh, we're finally able to, to get uh, into the, the Holy Sepulchre, into the, the actual the place of the tomb. And it was a, you know, a, a wonderful moment. But that sense that you know, all of that work kind of needs to, to happen. And, and during that first couple of hour period, I was trying to just go around uh, it's a massive kind of building trying to find somewhere that was relatively quiet to be able just to, to sit and to pray. But of course, if they weren't changing the oil in the lamps, they were starting to restore the frescoes or there were people kind of setting up scaffolding or all this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh my goodness, all this kind of thing that needs to happen in order for us to, to enter into the worship. And so those, the oil and the lamp is this crucial part of, of our lives because it represents all of that sense of being open to the wonders of God. It's not something that you are able to borrow from somebody else. Now, the bridegroom was generally late. It was part of the game that apparently is, is even still played through to this day in that, that period, in that area of the Levant between both the Muslim and Jewish communities, they still have this, this practice of this extended period of a wedding feast that would go for about a week. And there's any time almost in that period that the bridegroom could arrive. So these poor bridesmaids know that they have to bring extra oil. It was just the, the presumption. You had to bring extra oil. So the wise ones are not doing anything extraordinary. They're just doing what is the normal expectation of life at that time that you need to be prepared, that you need to offer yourself in all that you can to look after the poor, to care for the vulnerable, to be aware of those who are most in need of our community, that 
all of them are also part of this requirement to, to be prepared. But God will do the work. You know, it's not something that we just have to, it's not a works-based salvation solution that we're, we're after. It's all about this recognition that, no, God is the one who's calling. God is the one who is inviting us more deeply into the celebration. And that's what the life is about. That's the goal of this. It's not getting ready for a life of drudgery. It's not getting ready for a life of, of just being bored and dissatisfied. It's this invitation into the wedding. It's this invitation into this celebration of life and goodness and joy and wonder. That's what we're preparing for. And as we get to the end of this liturgical year, and it can kind of just feel like this year is, is dragging on and, and all of the, the sadness, all of the stuff that's kind of happening around us, and it can all just feel like it's too much. It's just being overwhelmed by all of this. And yet the invitation is just to continue, to do the one necessary thing that sits in front of us, to do the next right thing. That's all we ever have to do. We don't have to solve everything. We don't have to, to bring a solution to all of the, the world's problems. But we need to do whatever that need that is there in front of us. And the Holy Spirit is, is always nudging. The Holy Spirit is always inviting. The Holy Spirit is always giving us a little sense of, of what that one thing is that is lying in front of us. That one need, that one person that needs to, to have that smile. That one person that needs a word of encouragement. That one person that needs that listening ear. You know, listening is, is such a crucial and important gift. So all of these works, all of these things are part of that building up the, the stock of oil in our lives. Because we know that God wants this direct and immediate access to us. That God doesn't have any grandchildren. God only has people that he brings into that intimacy of relationship. He longs for us to be his children. He longs for us to respond in that way. And so for us, we need to remember that it's our job, our role, to do what we can to offer our hearts more fully and more completely to the God who's always calling and always inviting us into the celebration of life with him.